da da da. Welcome to Fourth Times the Charm, where niche is neat. I'm your producer, Ben, accompanied by... Well, actually, Matt's not here. Uh, but, we, instead of Matt, we have our Shea Butter and Sir. Oh my god. Um, do we have a guest here? No? Oh my god, I'm in this tiny box all on my own. Okay, this is terrifying. Um, so, uh, due to scheduling uh, difficulties, uh, Matt is on another side of the planet right now, but he did leave us some audio, and he's going to give us that audio hello right here. Hello, Charmers. This is Matt reporting to you from the field. I am out in the great country of Toronto in the state of Ontario, and I am here at the church, or sorry, not the church, the cathedral of transfiguration, the location of Sutter Kane's great temple, the location that is the center of the greatest film in the Apocalypse trilogy, in the mouth of madness for those who have not seen in the mouth of madness it follows the story of a man played by sam neil john trent as he discovers the mystery behind a horror author that is a uh, play on hp lovecraft meets um stephen king um, who has gone missing after the beginning publishing of a new horror text now this author is known for writing twisting mind-numbing stories and some people believe that if you read it, you will go mad. So when he begins to write his final piece, In the Mouth of Madness, he goes missing. And an insurance adjuster has to go and find him, and that is John Trent. We follow him on his journey all the way around the world until he ends up in the fabled town of Hobbs End, which is supposed to be a fictional town that only exists in the novels of Mr. Sutter Kane, but ostensibly has come real. And at the center of that city is a grand church a church with black spires that loom above the city and that is the cathedral of transfiguration now i am here from the field and i want to let you all know that it is just as cool as it seems in the movie um the church uh, cathedral i guess is, is absolutely massive funnily enough and a bit of a field report thing it's surrounded by a housing development you know like a Groups of housing that have several people living in the same building type of vibe. And they're adding more and more. So just smack in this like urban sprawl area is this massive black spire temple. Now, according to our field reporter, Monty, this area is very devout to this church. So when he came here on a Sunday, it was full and completely closed off. Now, being here in the middle of the week, there is not a soul in sight. So, while we're here, I wanted to give you a quick rundown of the Apocalypse Trilogy. Um, I highly recommend that you go and you check out our previous uh, long series on these three films. But over the course of John Carpenter's career, he made three different movies that deal with the end of the world and the end of reality itself. Now, all those three movies are considered some of the best horror movies of all time, disregarding what Ben says about Prince of Darkness. Now... It started with, as most people know, The Thing, which is considered you know, one of the best horror movies of all time, widely regarded as John Carpenter's best work besides maybe Halloween, and is a lauded film about an alien that arrives at an Arctic research center and begins to kill everybody. And ostensibly, at the end of the movie, the question is, does the monster win or does it not, thus starting a potential apocalypse? 
He followed it up with arguably my second favorite of the entire trilogy, and I think it's for its originality and its presentation, is Prince of Darkness, a movie very, very steeped in the work of H.P. Lovecraft as a group of students explore and dive into a special green concoction that is hidden beneath an ancient church in a city, and they must discover the truth of it. It is a tremendously um, intense movie that, of the three, is actually probably the most loved Craftian of the three um, versus just pure um, kind of horror twisting mindfulness which the thing captures and the titular film and my personal favorite film of the entire apocalypse trilogy in the mouth of madness it's john carpenter's only good 90s movie um it stars the glorious sam neill and has a kick-ass heavy metal soundtrack performed by john carpenter himself um and i highly recommend you go and check it out all of these movies are on a four out of four charm scale. Now the the thing is is largely considered to be a five out of five on the quality scale, but for me it's a four point five because I enjoy it, but it's a little overhyped. Um, I give uh, Prince of Darkness the same score of a four point five. I think it's a really wildly interest uh, wildly interestingly made movie with a great story and a fantastic cameo by Alice Cooper, and of course. The greatest movie ever made. The perfect film that is beyond perfect because it's perfect based on its narrative. And I'm sure Ben will can add an anecdote about that is In the Mouth of Madness. A 4 out of 4 charms. A 5 out of 5 quality. Now, I hope all of you out there are enjoying yourselves. Please tune in and begin to get yourself ready for a potentially new apocalypse trilogy uh, a less reported on apocalypse trilogy a, a director who captures the ambiance the chaos and the insanity of lovecraftian work just as well as john carpenter did and that is Stuart gordon now i will not give you too much more away than that but you will be ready for it and this has been matt recording live from the cathedral of configuration in a toronto ontario canada until we get back Forever with the Underground. And do you read Sutter Kane? Thanks, Matt. And just a reminder to everyone, if you want to hear about our thoughts on John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy, it's an oldie from us, but it's a goodie. Go check the archives on our podcast feed. We talk about everything in extensive, extensive detail. If you care at all about John Carpenter, you'll love it. Trust me. It's just you and me today, listener. I'm sorry, but I told Matt I was going to give him an episode that would make him proud. And I feel bad that I did that because I'm not sure if that's going to happen. But I am going to do what he would want. And that is review a whole bunch of music albums. Now, let's remember everyone from our music year in review last year. uh, I had the worst taste in music amongst everyone. Uh, and so I am officially the king of shit taste for the year of 2023, but that does not mean that if no one else is around, I can't still listen to music and work on improving my musical palette. And so because of that, I listened to four, uh, four and a half ish, maybe five, depending on how you consider it, uh, albums from four separate artists. One that was recommended by Nick, who is in our end of year review. One from Kyle from our end of year review. 
uh, then one from Matt and one that Matt suggested for myself. And I decided that I was going to take it upon myself to review each of these albums, give my thoughts, and give some shout-outs to some different bands. So we're going to go from my I still like them but less recommended to the ones that I like the most. Uh, but all these albums I'm going to talk about are good. So let's start with number one. Uh, this is actually the most recent release. It's from April. It was a band that Matt uh, highly recommended I listen to. So this is the one that was curated for me. It is from the Australian band Ne Obliviscaris uh, and their album Axul. Uh, so this is, uh, these are all metal albums. Uh, but this one incorporates a lot of additional uh, string uh, uh, instruments with it, which I found pretty, uh, pretty unique. Uh, sort of like how Gone Mage uses digital chiptune sounds. Uh, this band uses a lot of string instruments to service the overall sound of the music. Uh, they were formed in 2003, and it's been a bit of a ship of Theseus for the band. They've been shifting around uh, the different artists in their cadre. Uh, but this current iteration of the band, it's the Nit Obliviscaris that most people probably know. Uh, this album took three years to create, uh, began work in 2020, and just came out in April. Uh, it is a prog metal uh, album uh, with themes of uh, mythology, battle, death, um, and it is a good listen. I will say, I feel like the album as a whole uh, peaks in the first half with Echis. They use a screechy violin in that song to, I, I believe at least, uh, simulate the sound of a horse really badass uh and throughout the rest of the album it's i i quite enjoy it um it does have a mix of some more uh what's the best way it's the vocals sound a little emo-y in parts and i think that that works to the strength of the album is they're able to go seemingly in and out of different metal uh, genres or, or sister genres as they progress throughout the album. So it really takes you for uh, through a journey as you're listening to the whole thing. I would say that Echis is probably the best song uh, and that's the first song of the album. Uh, Misericord 1 and 2 are both also very good. That makes up the first half of the album. The songs in general are much longer than you would expect. A traditional album. They're each about 10 minutes a piece. Echis is the longest at 12. And I think that because of that, it can be harder to listen to the whole album in one sitting as opposed to listening to these songs on their own individually. Um, and I especially think that because there are other albums I'm going to talk about that I think do work better listening to together. Uh, I gave this one about a three and a half to a three and three quarters out of five. I thought this was a really strong album, um, but the other albums I listened to, I enjoyed a little bit more. And the next one, uh, I did indeed enjoy more, even though it's very short. It is an EP uh, that came out in February. 
It is the self-titled album Massive Gun by Massive Gun. For people who remember the end of year roundup, I very much enjoyed the SoCal-based metal band's Dead Body. Uh, and they were a sort of metal deathcore band. And this is very much in the same vein as them, uh, as Dead Body. I would say Massive Gun incorporates more sounds uh, or more instrumentation akin to a mayhem. Uh, it feels a bit less overwhelmingly satanic and a little more raw. Uh, this is their debut EP. They're based out of Columbus, Ohio, and these guys are super, super new. It was brought to my attention by Nick, who, when he doesn't have bad taste, has excellent taste. Uh, and I thought that for a debut EP, there is a huge amount of promise with these guys. I really like this. I did not quite love it, uh, and there's, there's no particular reason for that. It's just... The overall EP is about eight minutes, right? And that crosses one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight songs. So it's about one minute, one in a piece per song. Um, and I, I want more. Uh, not, not like in a American Idol. I want more from you, but like I just want to listen to more of their music. What I listened to here was really good. It does sort of feel like they're just getting started. Um, and I know that that's ethereal and doesn't really help uh, help denote quality. But it, it I feel like whatever the next release is, is going to have a more heavily curated identity. I feel like this was super good for just a straight deathcore album. Uh, but I want to, I want to feel more of what their spin on it is. So I can't wait to see what these guys are doing next. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I want to move on next to my top two bands of the week. Um, for both of these, it, it, it's weird. Uh, cause there was one band whose album I enjoyed on average more, but the other band actually dropped two albums at the same time. One of which I liked a bit less, one of which I liked a bit more. So I don't know how to really tackle that. Um, I guess I will start with Matt's recommendation. Uh, Matt really liked this album and I believe it's, it, it very well, spoiler alert, could be at the top of his mid-year roundup, if not his end of year roundup, but it is Ulthar. Uh, Ulthar, U-L-T-H-A-R, who, by the way, guys, have a very questionable naming, uh, naming structure for your albums because you name certain albums and certain songs different ways. They released two albums. They released Anthronomicon, and they also released Helionomicron. Helionomicron, we're going to talk about in a bit. But first, to start off, we're going to talk about Anthronomicon. Um, and I would say that these guys out of all the bands I listened to here felt the most technically sound. Um, I think Anthronomicon is a good, solid album. Technically, it's super gifted. These guys transition and do a lot of stuff that I'm not qualified to describe, but when I hear it, I can sense it. 
they do a lot of uh, key changing and they have a really heavy focus on riffs, uh, repeated riffs that really uh, they're, they're, they're called back to oftentimes throughout the songs. Uh, and they really make a point to make those, I'd say, sort of the backbone of the songs. And I like that to an extent. Uh, I feel like as the album goes on, I start to lose a bit of patience for it because I feel like they go back to that well a lot. Um, I feel like songs like Sackety's are really good. Cephalo 4, really good. Um, Coagulation of Forms is really good. Uh, and then I feel like the album kind of peters out a little bit towards the end. Um, I, I felt it felt uh, a little unfocused, right? Uh, and I guess I'll go talk about, because you can't talk about one without the other. They also released Helionomicon. So you have the Anthronomicon release on the same day they release Helionomicon. The Anthro release is a standard album, eight songs, right? Uh, Helionomicon is only two songs. They're each 20 minutes long. So both albums are roughly the same length, but one is two songs. They're just so much longer. And let me tell you, Ulther, when the long form structure is amazing. Helionomicon makes it very confusing because the two songs are called Anthronomicon and Helionomicon. It gets way more experimental. Um, I These guys are described as a black death metal cosmic horror, right? So, Ulther, right, is uh, is a Lovecraftian. Uh, and, and they cash in on that. But I really don't think you get the full vibe of the band until you get to Helionomicon. Because all of their repeated riffs and, and the details they add in their songs I feel like are given a chance to breathe in the longer album structure. And so, with Helio... It feels like you're descending into the depths of some sort of hell-like space. And they accomplish this through a number of really cool techniques they use. Uh, about halfway through uh, the song Helionomicon, there's like this noise. And it makes you feel like you're descending into this hellish place. They, they structure the songs so beautifully so that you don't get bored throughout. I noticed this especially in the second track, Anthronomicon, where they start out pretty intense, high-paced, uh, all up in your face into it, and then suddenly without you really noticing, they're slightly lowering the stakes of the music. And it's still going hard, but it's calmer. And they have a small interlude in both songs, so that you sort of reset, and then boom, they're right back at you for the next section of the song. And they're going at the same pace they were at the start of the song, but because they lowered your expectations, then boom, you're still right back into it. The the amount of the the genius use of structure, I think, denotes a real 
uh, a really impressive capacity by the band to be able to uh, uh, to 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 carry the audience's emotions, to understand how the audience is feeling, right? And that's such a powerful uh, it, it, it's it's such a powerful talent for musical artists to have. That's that's what you as a musical artist would want, right? Uh, it because it's Lovecraftian towards the end of the songs about the last minute to two minutes of each song you end in this weird ethereal soundscape with strange beeps and boops in the background and sort of laser sounds it feels like you're in this spacey or underwater no man's land where you gotta get out and it's just so affecting especially when you go from that in uh, Anthronomicon uh, to I, I'm sorry uh, you end up in that in Helionomicon so like you've descended from like down into hell or wherever you are and then you transition into this emptiness then Anthronomicon starts and you're wrapped up into this hellish soundscape with just drums and, and guitar and screaming over everything that's going on before once again peters out at the end of the song. Uh, I, it's, it's a real journey that you take. Uh, and I haven't heard Ulther's uh, other albums, but I'm curious to see how they hit. Because for me... The, the short form music was fine. I gave it like a three and three quarters, but I gave the second album a four and a half out of five. And I think those two songs, that album stand on their own. And I think they're genuinely fantastic. And I think that they're must listen to. Uh, before we go, I have one more band that I want to shout out here. And that is a recommendation from Kyle. Uh, and you know, we can give Kyle a hard time, but he does have very good taste in music. And he was the guy who suggested Homicidal Ecstasy by Sanguisugabog. Sanguisugabog, for me, it feels like a warm hug when I listen to it, which might sound strange, but when I listen to it, I get vibes of like the old uh, ECW from the late 90s, this sort of grungy ps1 action video game background music with these really deep chunky vocals that you can't understand but you know i feel like in metal the vocals are an instrument they're a layer of sound what they say in it is is like the easter egg if you really want to go into it i know that's the wrong way to think about it but you know bear with me here um, I, I can't understand a word what they say, but super fun. The lyrics I do understand are kind of silly, but there's just so many small details in this album that I love. Uh, Pissed is a fantastic song. There's a really funky beat they introduced in the second half. They just haven't been able to get out of my head. Um, Hungry for Your Insides is fantastic. The, the first half is pretty much instrumental only. And like I was saying, it reminds me of playing like SmackDown on the PS1 and I'm in game and they have just this grungy metal music in the background. Uh, and I think Skin Cushion takes that even further. Uh, I, I love these hideous names. 
uh, a lesson in savagery at the end of the song. There's just this wild screaming they introduce. I mean, it's crazy. I can't even... I, I don't know if I've heard that in another album before, which, you know, for metal, that's saying something. So that's worth checking out. Um, I, I feel like it's a little bit long. Eh? I, I feel like it goes maybe like two songs too many because compared to the other other albums on this list it's pretty long uh, you know there's a lot to go through there there's i think 13 songs here one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve so there's 12 songs i think they could have cut that down a bit because it is really intense music and unlike Ulther, they really just sort of stay up there the whole time but that doesn't make it bad um I gave Ulther's Helionomicon album a four and a half out of five. I gave this a four and a quarter out of five. Um, I, I was looking up some interviews on these artists, and uh, the one thing I learned about Sanguisugabog is they do a lot of acid. So I the the interview I was reading spent like three paragraphs talking about how much acid they do. So good for them uh for Ulther, they've actually had quite a journey to get here uh shelby lermo their guitarist and vocalist uh had throat cancer that was discovered while they were in production on the album um and is currently recovering uh so i know that uh, lermo's voice is still not uh or at least as of a month or two ago when the album came out uh, was not live show ready, but I am hoping that uh, recovery is going well and continues to go well because I'd love to see you in person. Uh, best wishes to you uh, and thank you for your music. Um, and, uh, and, and, and the last thing I actually found super interesting from Ulther was that they're spread out across the whole u.s so they were able to put this fantastic two sets of albums together uh with everyone split across uh the the country and that includes production time during covid uh so massive kudos to you guys massive kudos to all these bands for putting these uh albums together kudos to matt nick and kyle for the excellent selections um, but anyway, just to go through them one more time, Ne Obliviscaris with Exul. We have Massive Gun by Massive Gun, the EP. Ulther with the dual albums Anthronomicon and Helionomicon. And then, of course, Sanguisugabog's Homicidal Ecstasy with some of the best, um, so, some of the, the best names for songs I've seen. And my final note is you guys need to check out the Ulther album art. Maybe some of the craziest album art I've ever seen. I mean, it is astounding. Uh, so massive kudos to those guys. Um, and, and that's it. Yeah, just a bunch of metal albums. Um, I, I hope this was nice and informative. Um, thank you guys for the music. Thank you guys for listening. It's weird just talking to myself. I mean, I do that in my head a lot. 
I do it with the cats, but, uh, hey, cat, do you do a good job? Ooh, I bored her to sleep. Not a good sign. Uh, but hey, I made it a whole episode without mentioning wrestling. Ooh, not doing it. Not doing it. All right. Well, hey, this was my first time on my own. Hopefully for both your sake, the listener, and my sake, the Ben, this will never happen again. But hey, if it does, I'm sure I'll get better for the second time. I might have a nervous breakdown the third time, but I can assure you that everything will be hunky-dory when the fourth time's the charm. Good night and good! Forever with the underground.